0: talk to Todd Thompson, former CFO of Citigroup, former CEO of Wealth Management at Citigroup, and currently chairman of Dynasty Financial Partners. Todd, thank you for your time. Glad to be here, David. Well, let's get started. So tell me, what do you think on a macro level about the economy today? Well, the economy uh, in the US and globally is doing extraordinarily
1: well. Um, it just occurred to me in a millennial mind, right, probably a third of your life, or in some cases more, You've been in a, in a growing economy mm-hmm. state here. Um, the markets have done well, the economy has been growing ever since really 2009, so that's a long time. And we're now reaching maybe the apex of that growth. What I mean by that is uh, for a lot of that period of time, there were some economies doing very well. China was doing well for a period of time. The U.S. has kind of chugged along. Europe has done uh, more recently well, but earlier on not doing so well. But at this moment in time, you've got a situation where the US is doing very well as an economy, and Asia is doing well, and Europe is doing well. And so all the major economies in the world are doing well at the same time. And that creates benefits to each of those economies in turn. So let shorten that by saying it's an incredibly good time for the economies around
0: the world. Great. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was taxes. My peers come up to me and they tell me that, you know, they're seeing their paychecks grow slightly, albeit small. There are changes within that structurally and fundamentally. What is this tax bill about, if you can break it down for for our Our, listeners? The tax
1: bill was really about uh, just two things. The first thing was uh, an attempt to reduce taxes uh, for the, the lower income people, so middle income and below. Uh, all those folks saw their taxes reduced, right? So that was the objective number one, mm-hmm. and it was accomplished. And I think, you know, a lot of your friends will, have, will see that in their paycheck every week, and it makes a difference, right? And then it causes people to invest and spend a little bit more because they see a little bit more in their paycheck. The second objective of the, um, of the tax reform or the tax change was to put U.S. businesses on an equal footing with other businesses around the world. And what I mean by that is in the US, we had gotten to a point where the taxes on business in the US were higher than, on average, what you saw uh, other countries taxing their businesses. The result of that, um, and what's important about that, is that US businesses moved their operations overseas and were otherwise not very competitive with foreign companies. Now this puts the US companies on an equal footing from a tax perspective with their international competitors, and as a result, you're seeing jobs and investment coming back into the U.S. Uh, by U.S. companies and by foreign companies. Those were the two main objectives of the, of the tax reform, and I think it's, it's having the impact that they were looking for.
0: So you're talking about, about businesses coming back to the states, and that kind of goes well into the political infrastructure and things that this administration is implementing, one of which is, in a sense, more of a nationalistic view Kind of deglobalizing and bringing jobs and all that to America, is this the appropriate path for where we are in the economy? And what are the implications of this uh, method for our country in the future? Well, I think um,
1: first of all, my perspective. I'm, I'm a free trader, so mm-hmm. I was an economist. You know, in, in college, um, went to business school, and uh, everything that I've learned academically in school, and then practically over time leads me to believe that the best thing for people is for free trade to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the the things that drove a lot of the growth around the world in in the economies and in jobs um, was an elimination of the barriers that existed um, back in the early 90s when there was um, all these communist countries around the world and all these barriers existed. All those came down and there was a, a free trading mentality. Elimination of those barriers. That's been a good thing, right? So that's where I come from. What um, the administration current administration seems to believe is that in that structure um, America was disadvantaged in many ways because there wasn't there's never been fully free trade, Mm -hmm. right? And the feeling in the administration seems to be that that the free trade deals that we cut whether it's NAFTA or others uh, were not really fair to the US. So we were giving, giving up more than we were getting back, and um, they seemed to believe that um, it'd be worthwhile to try to renegotiate some of those deals for America's you know, benefit. Mm-hmm. I think the question is whether it really does improve those deals for the US and for the world, or, which is another possibility, it, it heads us back into a, a cycle of tariffs and controls that would result in having less free trade around the world and therefore less wealth for individuals around the world. Um, and we have to see how it plays out. You know, So far, um, we we don't have a real clear sense of, of the end game of where that plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it ends up with lots of trade barriers and lots of
0: tariffs um, individuals will lose. Yeah, so that kind of touches on uh, the tariffs that might be implemented within our country. So another topic I want to talk about was interest rates. Yep. The Fed is expecting to increase interest rates three to four times this year. My question is on a base level, what are the implications of rising interest rates on the U.S. economy, the global economy, and an individual consumer like myself? Yeah. So, so the Fed
1: raises short-term rates. Um, Longer-term rates are essentially set by the marketplace, right? And they tend to rise, in, in general, they tend to rise when the economy is getting strong, um, and therefore there's, there's more demand for money, and so you have to pay more for money. And that's why interest rates go up. Um, and then they also tend to get driven up as well by um, the central bank deciding, the Fed deciding, that uh, the economy is, uh, is potentially overheating. One of the Federal Reserve's main charges in, in their role is to uh, keep inflation at a reasonable level, mm-hmm. right? And the way they, the tool that they have to do that are interest rates. And so when they see the strong economy that we talked about in the beginning, when they see that happening, they get nervous that it's going to overheat, get too strong, create inflation. Sort to begin to slow that down a little bit, they tend to increase uh, the short end of the rates, the um, less than two-year. Uh, end of the of interest rates Um, and the market then works on the longer end and what you have seen actually so far which is interesting is that interest rates have gone up but only at the short end so less than two year uh, tenor of rates has gone up because the fed has been raising those rates the longer term rates have gone up a little bit but not nearly so much so there's been kind of a flattening of that what they call a yield curve Mm -hmm. which is interesting so the marketplace is saying you know, we're not quite sure um, whether these economies are going to get to an overheating point of view. Maybe the Fed is moving too early. That's what the market is saying, right? But the Fed is saying, hey, you know, for the last nine years, I've, been, I've kept interest rates artificially low, trying to get these economies going. They're finally going. Now I want to eliminate some of that artificial, artificially low rates. Um, That we've created and try to get that to a more normalized place So that's kind of where we are the Fed trying to figure that out trying to get to a more normalized level Um, And as rates rise again, it's it's a good sign generally because it's a sign that the economy is doing well Mm -hmm. Um, but the effect of the rates increasing tends to cool off the economy and there's there's an old uh, you know saying that exists that Uh, Recessions don't happen, they're always created by the Federal Reserve, and the the risk is that the Fed moves too quickly, raises rates too fast, and it cools off the economy too much, and we head into recession. That's the the risk. Uh, On a personal level, right, what it means is that if you're saving money in a bank account, you can now get, you know, much higher rates than you could have a year ago or two years ago. I think um, you can you can now get deposit rates online at one and a half percent, or sometimes over one and a half percent. If you go back a year or two, you know you might have gotten thirty basis points, you know half a percent or something like that. So, as a saver, you're going to make more money, right? As a borrower, if you're borrowing money uh, to buy a house, if you're borrowing money to buy a
0: car, um, it's going to cost you more. Right. So it's interesting to talk about this environment that we've had, basically interest rate free for the yeah. last know nine years there's been so much growth in companies such as Facebook snapchat these technological giants at this point they've never experienced interest rates as a company what do you think uh, the challenges and the changes those companies will have going forward with this environment
1: yeah I think the tech companies it has very little impact because they're not borrowers Mm -hmm. they're not lenders um, and so they're affected to some degree by the economy and what happens in the economy, but, but less by interest rates. Um, the, the businesses that get affected by interest rates are those that, that tend to be either borrowing or lending money. So the borrowers, the big borrowers are, are folks like uh, real estate investment trusts, um, other real estate businesses, some highly leveraged, private equity owned businesses. There's a number of businesses out there that that, that tend to be more what they call levered. so they've borrowed more money to operate their business. And those businesses are the ones who, in some cases, if they're not smart about what they do, in in every situation there's a few that aren't very smart about what they do. uh, They get caught, and all of a sudden, the cost of that borrowing goes up and up and up, and their revenues can't overcome that, and they, you know, in some cases will go bankrupt or they have to go through a restructuring. So that's what happens on one side. On those that are, that are lending the money or both borrowing and lending the money, let's take banks for example, in general a, a rising interest rate environment is good for them because they tend to be able to lend money out at higher and higher rates along the way and what they're paying for deposits tends to lag that. And so the spread between what they're borrowing money at and what they're lending at tends to get bigger. And that's why you've seen really in the last six months, um, really almost the last 12 months, you've seen uh, the prices of bank stocks going up substantially because the expectation
0: is in this environment, they're going to end up making more money. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, as these interest rates go up, inflation's going up a little bit, do you think the Fed is is accurately imposing these interest rate hikes, and do you think that our our market will be able to take it in and not get hit too hard? Well, I think it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I think what the Fed has done so far is very reasonable.
1: So again, rates were artificially low; they're getting more normalized. They're not at a normalized level yet. So there's a few more uh, increases they can go. Probably. Uh, a full one percent or 100 basis points, they could they could increase further before it's at a more normal level, given um, where, in, in, given in general where the economy is, right? And so again, because of this great recession and, and the and the pain um, and the difficulty in the economy that that caused, they've had to create all this stimulus and artificially low interest rates, really for the past nine years. So this is. The first part of this is a normalization. I think it's perfectly fine. The economy is, is very strong, the global economy is very strong, and it can handle these, in, these increases for the time being. I think the question becomes, once they finish that normalization, and that'll probably, right now, the market is guessing, and the Fed is saying, you know, maybe three more 25 basis point increases this year, so three-quarters of a percent by the end of the year. Um, still not actually the normalization. Mm-hmm. I think that's the economy can
0: probably handle that, right? So, with that and how strong the economy is right now, our employment levels are so low. For a person like myself, who you know is just starting the professional world, just starting their jobs, is this a good time to find another job? Are there open jobs or? It is. It's one, It's the best
1: time in nine years to find a, a, a job, and, and actually. Right now is probably one of the strongest times in history uh, to graduate from school and look for a job, to be looking for another job. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's unusual that you have unemployment. I mean, unemployment's an unbelievably low number. It's basically based, nothing. Right. I mean, it's scary how low it is, but the reality is that's an artificially low number because a lot of people have left the workforce and they're not being counted. Right. as part of those unemployment numbers. So, you're, the, the more important number from my perspective is the employment number, or the employment percentage of eligible workers, which got to um, historic lows over the past nine years and is now trending up again. And so, that number is actually now getting into a pretty healthy level. Um, and if you look at uh, other statistics like uh, number of job openings, et cetera, those are all at the highest levels they've been in the last, nine years right so this is actually a quite good time to be looking for jobs now every industry is different every opportunity is different that doesn't mean on a case-by-case basis you're going to you know find the ideal job you want Um, but the likelihood today that they're going to be there's going to be an opening um, and that they're going to be interested in hiring is again higher than it's been in nearly a decade it's a good time to be to
0: be out it's a good time to be a millennial there you go it's awesome um, so, back to policies in this administration, um, one of the things that, that has caught my eye, and many people's eye, is min- immigration. Mm-hmm. Immigration is, is great to continue you know, our population and the working force as, as that's dwindling in, you know, globally. What are your views on the appropriate path for countries to take when it comes to immigration and, and basically opening up borders, just like you were talking about mm-hmm. before?
1: Yeah. Well, I think immigration is, is uh, there's a, there's a, as an economist, there's a very simple formula, right, which is the, the growth of, of GDP of a country is going to be driven by the productivity increase and the population increase. and So immigration is one factor in that population increase. Obviously, having a lot more babies than there are deaths is another factor. Um, but in, in developed economies like the U.S., and even more so in countries like Japan and others, um the the population growth of the existing um, citizens, in other words, babies born versus deaths, tends to be very, very low, and in some cases, Japan, for example, negative, right? And so you can only make that out through immigration. Um, so so from a pure economic point of view, immigration is actually very important to drive growth of the economy. Aside from that, philosophically, I just think, this country, and I could talk forever, this country was built on immigration. Every one of us is, is connected in, in very few generations back to an immigrant who came to this country. Um, we're, you know, we're the beacon of light that the, that the world comes to. And to change that character, I think, would, be, would, would um, damage the soul of America, if you will. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's integral to who we are as a country. Uh, so, I think for, for those two reasons, one is a philosophic and emotional reason, um, a cultural reason, and the other one is an economic reason, I think immigration is, is critical uh, for this country, and actually it's critical for the growth of, of any country. Um, now, what are the rules around immigration? What type of immigrants do you want to attract, not attract? What about illegal immigration? Those are, those are all different issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, back to taxes and that, that tax reform. It's been good so far and you've seen positive impacts in the economy right now. However, the COE predicts that there's gonna be a trillion dollar deficit or in addition to our, our national debt. What are the implications of that going forward?
1: We've created a stew now which is really you know, unsustainable um, with our fiscal situation, so we've, we've reduced taxes and yet we haven't addressed um, the entitlement issues Social Security, Medicaid, um, that are, are driving a massive amount of increase in our deficit, right? And those are the two biggest pieces. We can talk about things like defense or education or a bunch of other things. They are, if you look at the numbers, they are relatively immaterial um, versus the cost of Social Security and, and, and Medicare now and going forward. And that's a growing burden, right? And so the question is, how do you deal with those? And how do you deal with those in a way that doesn't create, doesn't bankrupt the country in some way? Because at some point, there's no free lunch, right? So when we have a deficit spending, and you see that you know word a lot, and we have a national deficit, what does that really mean? What that means is the government is actually borrowing money. and So they're, they're issuing bonds, they're borrowing money in some cases from people here but an actually majority of the of the debt is issued to foreign countries so uh, Japan buys the debt China buys the debt we're borrowing money and we have to pay interest on that and we have to pay it back someday right so there's no free lunch here and there's only just like you person There's only only so much debt that you can deal with before you can't afford to pay for it anymore um, and the US therefore has to deal with this issue now what this administration believes and some of this I I believe as well is that the targeted cuts that they created um, on businesses and on individuals will increase the growth rate of the economy and then because it increases the growth rate of the economy that will result in higher tax um, receipts from everyone so we'll grow faster there'll be more tax receipts and that will help you know catch up and pay for the tax cuts that they've created. I think there's going to be some truth to that Whether it's going to be hundred percent true, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Nobody really knows um, People are guessing about whether how that math will work out But almost unquestionably it's going to create faster growth and therefore high, higher tax receipts even though tax rate is lower um, but There's no way we're going to grow fast enough to overcome Uh, the Social Security and and Medicare uh, time bomb uh, that's happening. So so reforms are gonna have to be put in place. The longer it takes to put those reforms in place, the more painful it's gonna be, right? So in this, you know, today, if we immediately said, okay, let's just extend the retirement date um, under which you can uh, receive Social Security payments, let's extend it by a year or two years or three years uh, for people that haven't yet retired. That would probably be all that's needed on the social security side. Medicare is a more complicated situation, but mm-hmm. on social security side, that would probably solve the problem. But we can't, for whatever reason, seem to find our way um, to come up with what I think are relatively simple solutions, especially in an environment where people are living longer, living longer healthily, so and wanting to work longer. Um, so extending that by two, three, four years doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, but But the political environment has been one that that for whatever reason the uh, administration, the congress, the previous administrations and the previous congresses haven't been able to deal with.
0: Interesting. So you're talking about uh, owing back debt to other countries. So as interest rates go up and us having debt with countries like Japan, is that going to cause an issue as interest rates are going to be higher for those
1: loans? No question. No question, it's gonna be, that's another problem, right? And we've had, the as a debtor nation, where we have a big deficit that we finance, we've had the benefit in the last, you know, nine years of really low interest rates. As those interest rates get more higher and higher, the cost of being able to pay for that debt is gonna go higher and higher, and we all have to pay for it, right? Right. Right? We're gonna have
0: to pay for it in some way. So, with all that, I, I would be very curious to hear your outlook for the next one, three, five years for someone like myself, someone who's a, who's a millennial and who's just starting their, their working world. Yeah. I would say a couple things. First, there's never been a
1: better time to be alive. I mean, the amount of, of exciting things that you can do today um, with your life is, has never been greater than it is. Um, the the technology changes that are going on have never been more exciting than, than they are today. Uh, the opportunity set for individuals has never been better than it is today. Uh, and I think it's incredibly exciting. Uh, and the economies have never been in better shape around the world um, and in the U.S. than what you see today. So it's a, it's a great time today to be alive. You know, I think one of the things that... Uh, particularly millenni- millennials will have to keep in mind, is that this nine-year growth of the economy, this nine-year bull market, this is not normal. This right. is, in fact, now the longest bull market in history. Isn't it right. on
0: average about a seven to eight year yeah. bull market?
1: Exactly. Right. And now we're, and some of them are shorter, obviously. Right. This is a very long one. And so, what you have to begin to think about is that there's no there's no God-given right for the economy to continue to grow. It will, at some point, the market's going to go down. And we've seen some volatility already, but it'll actually turn and, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a difficult time in the market. That usually happens in advance of the economy turning down. So the market, the stock market, is usually a leading indicator, and it happens six months or so before the economy actually turns out. We will have a recession at some point in the future. I mean, we haven't. For nine years, we are going to have a recession. There will be layoffs. There will be economic pain that will that will come. And don't be surprised by it. It's a normal part of what happens. It's not going away. Um, the world didn't all of a sudden change and become you know this perfect machine marching forward um, you know every year. It's not going to happen. So, so I think on the one hand, it's an incredible time to be alive. On the other hand. You know, be thoughtful, be smart, be prepared. Um, you know, always hope for the best, but you always prepare for the worst. And, and recognize that, um, you know, you need to put yourself in a situation personally where you can handle um, if the economy turns down, you can handle uh, if the, when, not if, when the stock market drops by 15 or 20%, right? And I think that's something that that perspective For those of you who can get it, even though you might not have been through something like that, if you
0: can put yourself in a situation to prepare for it, uh, you'll be much better off. That that was perfect. That's exactly what I was going to ask you, is what advice would you have for someone like myself going through that type of of market? So to close this out, you know, someone as successful and seasoned as you, what advice would you give to someone in, you know, the beginning parts of their career? I like the seasoned part. That's good. That's uh, a great hair. Hair. <laughs> Solar box going <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs>
1: um, look, I, I think the advice that I always give people is, um, is have the courage to bet on yourself. In my experience, um, most people limit their potential not by their own ability, um, but by their fear of either failure or their fear of being successful. And... Uh, you know I, I went through uh, one episode of my life where I was uh, you know in the hospital close to dying and I, I promised myself that I would never let my fear get in the way of my success I might not have the talent I might not have the capability there might be lots of reasons why I don't achieve what my goals are but it won't be because I'm afraid to do it right and I think that's what uh, that's the most important advice that I would give of each of you, is make the most of your talent, make the most of your ability, make the most of your ambition, and, and never let your fear get in the way
0: of you taking a swing at life. With that, thank you for your guys' time to tune in, and more importantly, thank you, Todd. that has yeah. been incredibly helpful. Good. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you guys next time.